Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I'm so excited for you to hear from Tony Johnson on this new episode of our podcast. He's currently the athletic director, head football coach at W.T. White High School in Dallas, Texas. He also just released his first book titled Faith on the Field, which you'll hear a lot about in this conversation. He's married to Mary. They have four kids, just an incredible man of God, someone who has personally encouraged me, and I cannot wait for you to hear from him. So let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach. Thanks for having me. You bet. So a lot of listeners uh, may not be familiar with who you are, so just kind of give us a kind of a brief overview of your background, maybe uh, where you grew up, a little bit about your family growing up and your family today. You bet. Well, uh, obviously, Tony Johnson here, um, athletic director, head football coach at W.T. White. I am a Kansas City native, uh, born and raised in a town called Olathe, Kansas, a suburb of Kansas City. And so I grew up a huge Chiefs and Royals fan and, uh, you know, had, had uh, two sisters and, and two half-siblings, uh, a brother and another sister. Uh, two parents that loved the Lord, uh, not perfect, but loved the Lord, took us to church and uh, just taught us right from wrong and just had a great childhood. I, I have no complaints about the way I was raised or... You know, the things that we did. My dad was a football coach, and in Kansas, you can coach football and have a day job, um, what they call a Rule 10, a lay coach, if you will. So he wasn't a teacher, but he coached, and so grew up around the game of football and grew up around sports, and so gravitated towards that. Uh, played small college football at a Christian college called Mid-American Nazarene University on a, on a football scholarship, and uh, was a great experience. And then I thought, you know what, I'd just be a high school coach and, and uh, chase my dreams that way. And after three years of coaching high school football at a large school in Kansas City, I, like a lot of coaches, I went and worked football camps, KU, K-State, Nebraska, Missouri. And back then they would pay you two, $300, give you a couple shirts, and you could coach their summer camp. And I went to a place called TCU, didn't even know where TCU was or what it was, but I got coerced into going to TCU with some people that wanted to go to Texas. And last thing I know, I'm being offered a job to be a GA. And so uh, back then, they had restricted earnings positions. Uh, so I did that my first year. And then I got put on as a graduate assistant and was able to get paid and take master's classes. And so, yeah, I got into college coaching, was at TCU, Texas A&M, worked for Dennis Francione. Uh, and then I became a small college head coach myself at a couple of schools, NAI schools. And just kind of bounced around chasing that dream, Stuart. And then all of a sudden, my wife said to me one day, why don't you coach your own kids? <laughs> and so that kind of hit home. And I said, yeah, you're right. And decided to make high school the full-time ministry uh, profession for me. And that's taken me to a lot of great places. I'm kind of known as the guy that's the rebuilder. I'm in my sixth head job. Only one of them, uh, one of the six, was a dominant program that I got lucky. Should have never left that one, by the way. <laughs> but uh, the rest of them are all rebuilds. And so that's kind of what I do. That's my MO. I take over the 0 and 20, the 1 and 29 program and flip them. And it may not be a giant flip to you, but uh, it is a flip nonetheless. And, and that's kind of what where I've seen my niche. I love the inner city uh, kids. Uh, tend to gravitate towards those jobs. Uh, and, and I think I relate well to those types of kids. So that's me. I have a wife, uh, Mary, who's in education, four children. And two dogs had three. One just passed away. So Aww. sad. But that's yeah. me in a nutshell. Awesome. So you mentioned uh, your parents and uh, taking you to church. So obviously grew up in a family of faith. But talk about that journey to you deciding that you needed that personal relationship with Jesus. Well, yeah. So you know, I grew up going to church, and I wouldn't say we were everyday Sunday attenders, but church was talked about in home. Going mm-hmm. to church was talked about. 
Uh, my dad was an ordained minister, but he was flawed like all of us. You know, he'd go out in the garage and work, you know, in the evenings and smoke a cigarette. And I remember being young, go out there, and I, I struggled with that. I struggled with seeing my dad do that or, or my mother pouring a glass of wine. And I know these things seem silly to you, but when I was a youngster growing up being told this is right and this is wrong and da 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 da, da I'd see these things, and it, it threw me into a tizzy. So I had a very... Uh, I don't know what to say, Stuart. I had a very different mindset about going to church, and I, I guess the best way I could describe it is I was scared to disappoint God, mm-hmm. or maybe scared to disappoint my parents, and so I grew up that way till about the age of 14, and then through a youth group session at a, a Pentecostal church in Kansas City, uh, I was listening to a, and, and your older listeners will know this, there was a Christian band called DeGarmo and Key. And, uh, and another band named Striper, it's still a relative oh, yeah. band, and they were coming to do a Christian concert at a church. And it was going to be a group called Petra, DeGarmo and Key, and Striper. Ooh. And so our youth group got to go for free. And that night at that concert, they had an altar call right after mm. DeGarmo and Key sang, and I went down and committed my life to Christ. Wow. And so, uh, and then of course, I'm sure I've recommitted myself more than once, uh, you know, down at those altars. But uh, that's how it started for me. And I would say, I'm 47 now, I would say that in the last four or five years, I've come to a revelation of the gospel, um, you know, realizing that we are the righteousness of God, that we are the heir of Abraham, and once you accept Christ and you realize he's not coming back to, to die on that cross again, you know, that there's, there's, there's two, two parts to this cross. There's, you know, historical Jesus, which a lot of churches and a lot of people want to talk about, and then there's new life-giving Jesus, which is the one that died on the cross for your sins and the sin you're going to commit tomorrow and the sin you're going to commit next Mm. week. And once you get to that revelation, you get to a point where it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is a, I don't want to sin. I don't want to be this bad person. I don't want to live this bad life. I want to strive to be a better person for Christ. And so that's where I'm at now. And I'm not perfect, and I make a lot of mistakes. And But you know what's beautiful is we have grace. We've been forgiven. And um, I don't dwell on it like I would have maybe when I was 14, 15, 16, or even in my early 20s. Um, and I just I move forward in the, in, in the grace and mercy of Christ. That's awesome. I love that. I love, I love hearing people's stories. Yeah. Like that because everybody's got a got a unique yeah. story. And I, I too went to a Petra concert. Uh oh, I love. Petra. It wasn't where I got saved, but yes, I was did. Was that a Greg Volts Petra or John Schlitz? I don't remember. <laughs> Which lead singer? I can't. I can't even remember I'll the lead singer at this point. I could, it was '92. Oh, John, John Schlitz. John Schlitz. Yeah. <laughs> And that was crazy. Um, yeah, that's funny. When you say older bands, yes, I think a lot of people listening should should know who they are. And we'll talk more about your your, your faith. Um, you know, you talked about coaching at the high school, college level. Now you're back. You know, you're, you're head football coach at WT White here in Dallas. So talk about your current position because you did. You talked about your kind of that rebuilder. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about coming into to WT White and the culture you're trying to create here. Sure. So uh, again, I don't want to talk about the past too much and dwell on the past, but uh, when you come into a job like this, there's a reason that the previous coach is leaving, right? Mm-hmm. And so. What we found was a lot of hungry kids that wanted to be coached, kids that really are good athletes but needed guidance in showing the way how to behave and how to act, and we still fight that. And so for us, when we come in, there's a plan. I, I told my guys, I said, some of them have been with me in other places. There's a plan, 
and I have a plan, and it's 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 up here in my head. I mean, I could tell you a little bit about it, but when you come in, everybody uses the buzzword culture, but there has to be a culture. Mm-hmm. There has to be a systematic change, and so you come in and you you change systems and you change behaviors. And uh, for us, our 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 uh, our culture is hook 'em, which is honesty, overcome, overachieve, knowledge, enthusiasm, and motivation. And I believe, we believe that that is our mission, that everything we do in life, whether it's dealing with teachers, uh, uh, coaches, dealing with other players, that part of that acronym relates to that conversation. Part of that acronym relates to your behaviors. And so we hammer it home. You can't, if you ask any kid in my program that's a sophomore or a senior, you know, if your new freshmen are going to learn it, right? If you ask any sophomore or senior in my program what hook'em is, they'll tell you. Hmm. They know it. They, they better know it, they, but they know it. I know they know it. So, because we test them, and so we talk about it and we share it with that with them. So that's our culture. But you know, it's a team that was 0 and 20 when we got here, and so we were playing 6A football really with 4A numbers. And uh, the first year went one and nine, four and six, and we're we're poised for a big year this year in 5A. Um, our numbers are growing, the team is growing, facilities are growing, and so there's just a buzz around here about WT White on the north side. And Dallas has a lot to offer that I think a lot of people don't look at. Uh, from the outside in because of so many years of uh, just you know downtrodden teams but I think when you see what we're building here and what we're doing here you're seeing it built from the ground up the right way yeah you know and you've had you know already a, a long career so what would you say maybe is your greatest accomplishment or memory in coaching in, coaching. Okay, in, in my career accomplishment my kids my personal kids but in coaching, I was, you know, gosh, there a lot. I mean, I loved my time at TCU. We won a couple of bowl games. Um, you know, I just think my greatest accomplishment is a kind of culmination of a lot of things. Um, and what those things are to me are the victories that you get are, that are unseen. Uh, mm. When the kids call you on your birthday or Father's Day. Um, I had a kid I coached my second year ever in coaching uh, named Joey Tregalis. I talk about him in the book. I haven't talked to Joey Tregalis in 20 years. But Joey Tregalis, the last game of the season, came up to me and he said, you're the first man that's ever believed in me. He didn't say coach. He didn't say person. He said he used the word man. And I was like 25 at the time. That has stuck with me ever since. Mm. I'm the first man that's ever believed in this kid. And so how powerful that is in society. Um, These kids need men. They need male role models. They need male figures that are strong. And I think the the faith-based coach giving that to these kids goes a long way those are my those are my greatest accomplishments that kind of stuff what would you say on the flip side maybe greatest disappointment or challenge just when you're to me it's never about kids the jobs i've left whether it be an assistant job coordinator job or head coach i always left looking back now i always left because i let an adult make me mad Mm. i let an administrator frustrate me to the point where i left and it's never been about kids in terms of leaving and so my greatest disappointment is maybe leaving too soon in a couple of jobs. Um, I look at TCU. I could have stayed a third year. Um, I was offered a chance to stay a third year. Didn't. And so, you know, that Coach Fran goes to Alabama. Gary Patterson takes over. Gary's a Kansan. I'm a Kansan. We had many talks, still do. And I, I, who knows where I would have been on that staff. And then I had a little Catholic high school job, which I had no business getting that job because I'm not Catholic. But Sacred Heart in Salina, Kansas, dominant program. It's it's basically Bishop Carroll or Jesuit here in Dallas, Bishop Dunn. It's a school like that. And I was the head coach at 26, and I, I fell into that. 
and uh, I went 11 and one the first year as a head coach there. And I walked into the priest's office that ran the school, and I said, "I'm going to need a raise. I need two more coaches. I need this, this, and the other, or I'm out." And they both stood up and shook my hand and said, "Well, good luck to you." <laughs> and I, they called my bluff, and they were. I, I look back and I go, "Tony, you idiot, you had." That they've had four coaches since me. Not one guy has lost fewer than two games a year at that school. So who knows? But I came back to Texas, and I've made a lot of great friends like yourself and these guys that I work with. And but those, I guess, would be my my uh, my two main regrets. Mm-hmm. So now let's get to um, an exciting part. You over this series of COVID, you've released your first book. Yes, sir. Called Faith on the Field: The Pastoral Ministry of a Coach. So talk about the journey. Um, of writing the book, and then you know, kind of give the listeners a snapshot of the central message. Okay, so bear with me for a quick second. Absolutely. So I started writing. This was cathartic for me. This was therapy. I started writing the book to kind of leave a legacy for my grandkids. Should I not be here? Why am I here? Like, what's your why? Mm-hmm. I'm big into that with coaches, young coaches especially. And um, I, so it was. I want to leave a legacy of well, here was my why. And so basically I started off the book just kind of telling my journey from second grade playing Little League and why I fell in love with football and my dad coaching, et cetera. But then I started as an ex-history teacher telling the story of why we got coaches. If you read the book, you know, there was a time in this country when we moved from an aggregate society to an industrial society. Well, in the aggregate society, boys would wake up and go work the field with their dad all day. Mm -hmm. And mom and the young ladies would stay back and garden and do the laundry and housework. And so when we move to the industry and school becomes mandated, we end up having a situation where dad's still farming or he's going to a plant and working, but he's not with his son anymore. And these kids are being taught by mostly women. There were no organized sports. And Newt Rockney famously said, coined the term juvenile delinquent. A lot of people don't know that. Because juveniles were getting out of school at 3.30, 4 o'clock and had nothing to do. So they were getting in trouble. They were going God knows where and doing bad things. And so I always tell people there are three things that unite young men. Prison, <laughs> military, or athletics. Well, two of those are okay. One's not so good. But out of those other two, one's pretty doggone tough and you might die doing it, <laughs> you know, in the military. So it's sports. And so... You see where this need for a coach and this need for a male role model and structure and environment come into play. So I tell that story. The third piece of the book was I started talking to my pastor. A lot of people go to counseling. I don't call it counseling. It was a, I was in between jobs, and I started going to see my counselor, I mean my pastor on, on Thursdays. And we were talking and just about the frustrations of our jobs, and there were a lot of similarities. You know, he's got to win on Sunday. He's got to write this great sermon He's got to build buildings. He's got to grow outreach programs. Uh, he's got people that he's shepherding us, this flock. And I talk about that. Well, a coach has to shepherd a flock too. I have players. I have teachers. I have people that want to see me win on Friday. And uh, you've got all these things going around. There's nobody really for you because you're the leader. Who's listening to you? Mm-hmm. Who's hearing your, your deepest, darkest secrets? Who's talking to you when you're down in the dumps, when you're not always feeling good? Because you've got to be on your toes all the time Sunday as a preacher. And he said something unique to me. He said, Tony... I write my resignation letter every Monday. Hmm. And I went, what? He said, I do. I write my resignation letter every Monday. I can show it to you. And he goes, I've even signed it a few times and started to walk towards the, uh, you know, the, the, the board of directors and give them this thing because I'm out of here because it's just such a daunting task 
And we forget that. I think the average person that goes to church, you know, one Sunday a month, they forget that. They expect to be entertained. They expect to not be hassled for tithing. They expect a great word, and they expect to feel good, and then, oh, let's go to the buffet. You know, and there's so much more that goes into keeping the electricity on at a church. So as we began to have these talks, I realized he's shepherding a flock. I shepherd a flock. We have similarities, and I tied that into the book. And the final piece of this thing was, and I know I'm getting long-winded, was... I wanted there to be more voices. I didn't. I, I guess I doubted myself. I said, nobody's going to buy a book by Tony Johnson and his son. So I said, you know what? Let's reach out to some NFL players, some I, I mean, ADs, coaches. And we reached out to probably 100 people. And I got a lot of maybes, and I got a lot of, eh, I'm too busy. But the ones that did it, that's who God wanted to be in the book. And so there's some really good ones in there. And you've got a quote from Bruce Matthews and Chris Allison from ESPN and, uh, you know, uh, Louis Carello, the strength coach at Georgia Tech, Chris Melson, who just wrote a book, on and on and on. And it's led me to now, it's funny, the, a lot of people that turn me down, they're asking me, hey, when you write your next book, can I be in it? Hmm. So we like that theme. We, we are going to do another book and we are going to have more people write essays. That's awesome. And you mentioned um, kind of in passing that you wrote this with your son. Yes. So talk about... You know, being able to do this with with your son, who's also starting a coaching career as well. Yeah, there was it was really cool. One thing COVID's done for me. Yes, we're locked in our houses. Yes, we don't know whether there's going to be football. But I will tell you this: one thing COVID's done for me is it's allowed me because my son moved back home prior to COVID. He's 26. Stuart, I've played as silly as this may sound to you, but I've or your listeners, I've played golf 15 times since March with my son. The average man, I don't know if you have kids, but the average man will spend 80% of the time he's going to spend with his son by the time that son is 22. That's factual. That's scientific. Mm. So when you stop and think about that, we lose our relationships with our kids, and I haven't had to lose that because of COVID, and and we've actually bonded and done more things like this book. Now, the other piece is Tony is a great writer. He's written. He's a writer by nature. And so what he did was he gave me voice in a lot of this, and then he tells a little bit of his story about how he didn't really want to go on past high school and how I pushed him, and he got a scholarship to North Texas, and it opened so many doors for him. And so he talks about that and and how the ministry of coaches can benefit young men. That's awesome. And, you know, just a quick commercial, if you will. I mean, if you're interested in the book, anybody listening, it's just Amazon. Amazon. Just type in Faith on the Field and order a copy. I can tell you um, it's a... um, it's an easy read, quick read. So I think whether you're a coach or not, it can be encouraging. So yeah. I'd encourage anybody to get it. So, you know, you mentioned uh, a little bit about your family, uh, married, four kids. So how do you balance the demands of being an athletic director and football coach with also being a husband and a dad? I think you've got to – I've gotten better with age, number one. I'll say that. I think you've got to make time. You've got to put away your ego and your selfish pride. And I couldn't have done that in my 20s and my early 30s. Um, and I just realized that I'm, I'm a servant more than I am a leader, and I have to serve my house. And if you can't, I've said this on, on your podcast, on, on, your, uh, on the Bible study on Tuesday nights, if you can't lead your own home, you can't lead. And so uh, all four of my kids are tight. They're real close. My wife and I are tight. I told you before we went on the air, my wife and I have been married twice to each other. Mm. Uh, it's a testimony. Um, you know, we were high school sweethearts, and after two years she'd had enough, and she divorced me and I stood on the courthouse steps begging her not to crying I, I know vividly where I was and what it looked like 
And um, two years later, she came back into my life, and we had two beautiful daughters. So four kids, and you have to make time. You have to make them first. It's not easy. Um, but she's in education, and I'll tell you what, Stuart, she has moved. I mean, I've had a ton of jobs. <laughs> you know, some people laugh at that, but I've had a lot of jobs. And uh, when guys do those wooden resume things, the one in my house, like, hangs from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen more of those pop up in the last four uh, months. Well, my offensive coordinator met, built me one, and he called me, like, halfway through it, and he goes, I'm running out of wood. You guys have had more jobs than anybody, and it's cut true. Cut down two more trees. Yeah, I cut down two more trees. <laughs> but you're, my wife always ends up selling the house. My wife always ends up packing the boxes. Yep. And so I, I believe God has a woman or a man, if you're a woman listening to this show, for every one of us, if you'll trust and have faith that that, that that person will be brought into your life because I am so lucky that she fulfills the needs that I have as, as Tony Johnson. No, that's good. I like that. I love the. I love hearing the story of you and your wife. I've heard. I've heard you mention it on our Tuesday night fellowship deal often. I just. I just think it's a powerful testimony. I'll be glad to share it sometime. So, you know, we talked a little bit about um, the role of sports, and you talked about being drawn to maybe even inner city places, and so you obviously understand the, the the role of sports and you know it's no secret i'm not getting into politics we live in a divided culture you know i tell people all the time i think there's two things that unites people is food and sports um and so you know in your role um in sports how have you seen sports kind of tear down those walls where you know there could be division along race socioeconomics religion politics i mean it it's everywhere but you know at a place you know along your coaching journey how have you seen sports tear those down well first of all if you go back and google ladanian tomlinson's hall of fame speech mm-hmm. and allow yourself 15 to 20 minutes to watch that and i had the pleasure of being around ladanian he talks about the greatest diversity and the greatest place on earth where there is no racial divide is the locker room and I agree 100% with that statement I don't think he said it exactly that way but that's what he was getting at and uh, the other thing I'll tell you is there are three types of coaches in my life that I I believe this you're either called covert or clueless three C's (laughs) alright so if you're called into this profession real quick you're going to relate to kids kids are going to relate to you no matter whether you're at an all white school all African American school all Asian school doesn't matter if you're called, kids are going to recognize that calling on your life. If you're covert and you've got evil intentions, you want to harm kids, it's all about you, it's all about money, it's all about something else other than bettering children, you too will be called out really quickly. And if you're clueless, well, guess what? I might be able to save you as the head coach AD. I might be able to recognize you have some talent, you just don't quite get it. And that's part of why I wrote this book is I see a lot of young coaches I got to be the OC I got to be the DC I got to be the head coach I got to get a head coach by the time I'm 30 I got to be a head coach by the time I'm 27 I want to be in the NFL by the time I'm 35 I was that guy too and if I could give them any advice it is you need to be patient you need to get in your word you need to trust God he's got a plan for you and you pushing it will only lead to heartache like and I can attest to that because you'll leave places you were planted and therefore you're out of the will of God and when you get out of the will of God bad things happen I've lived that. So, you know, for me, I know who I am. I'm not going to get, you know, if Riley's listening, I love you, Riley. I'm not going to get the South Lake Carroll job. I know that. That's okay, you know. But what I do is I get jobs that are hurting, where kids need guidance and kids need love. And I've done, I think, a really good job with my staff of building kids up, loving on kids, 
and encouraging kids at schools that are maybe a little less affluent, maybe have a little more of a diverse background. And I feel like I know who I am and I relate to those kids. Now, it's not easy. It's frustrating. And I go home more times than not punching the dashboard in my car going, man, that makes me mad. But like I said earlier, a lot of times it's decision makers that won't get in on board with these coaches that know these kids. And I know you don't want to get political, but what's going on in our country right now is because we're not listening to the coaches. We're not listening to athletic directors who have a vision and have a plan. And let's face it, a lot of these kids are in school for athletics. I'm sorry that they're not in school for math. My wife's a math person. But along the lines, they're going to learn math. Along the lines, they're going to learn about history and education, and they are going to be productive citizens. And if we would all stop crying about our territory and let coaches coach and coach these kids in athletics that want to be there, or band, or drama, um, or the glee club, or whatever it is you you have that draws kids to your school, um, if we would get on with that, then I think we'd have a much better, safer society and, and one that got along more. I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. It's that one time when people come together for maybe three hours on a Friday yeah. night or a Saturday afternoon that they don't care who the person next to them is. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I've been in a lot of huddles throughout my life as a player. When a guy next to me was an African-American, one of my best friends, running back, played at Pittsburgh State, African-American, the, the center next to me, you know, was a Hispanic guy. And I don't ever remember going, hey, man, do, do you believe this? Or talking politics in that huddle. No, was, here's the play. We gotta go execute it, or we're gonna lose this game. It's a common goal. The, yeah, the common goal, and that's missing in our society. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We could probably have a whole nother conversation just <laughs> on that. <laughs> absolutely. As you know, a lot of the people that listen to this are coaches, some student athletes. So, what advice would you offer that student athlete or a coach that you know is a believer in Christ, um, but is not quite confident in using the platform that they have through athletics? Um, to, to live out their faith. Well, you're going to have to you're going to have to make a, a choice sooner than later is what I would say first and foremost because you will be exposed. This is an evil world that is going to challenge you. And I know this is a Christian podcast, so I can say this openly to your listeners is you're going to have to make a choice for either Christ or not. Mm-hmm. And if you are standing on the side of Christ, then I think, again, you're called in this profession and then you have a right to to express that. Now, I've had this conversation a lot lately. It's funny you ask that question. Three years ago, I sat in front of Chris Melson, and a lot of people listening know who that is, at his place. We went over there to X and O, mm-hmm. and we'll hang out and talk football. And he said something to me that I'm a listener, by the way. I listen, so I don't always speak up, but I listen. He said something very poignant. He said, I don't care what they do to me. And I don't know who they is, but he goes, I don't care what they do to me. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about praying. I'm going to talk about giving your life to the Lord. I'm going to talk about being a good person. I'm going to talk about that every day to my kids. And they can they can say what they want. He goes, our core values are based off the Bible. And sure enough, if you go to his office, there are Bible. Like a lot of guys put these graphics all over their school, these awesome pictures. Chris has got Bible all over Mansfield Legacy High School. What is a public school. It's it's. it's and I have to admit, I was kind of shocked at first. I was like, aren't you worried about getting fired? No, I'm not. And you know what? I just said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lean that way. I've shied away from it. You know, I've always prayed with our kids before practice or after a game. Or if a kid came in my office, I've had no problem sharing my witness. Um, and I've got coaches around me right now listening. Dude, there's a kid coming up here tomorrow, Stuart. He's coming up here tomorrow because he wants to know how my faith got so strong. That's, 
Yeah, that's a true statement. He, he texted me last week and said, Coach, I'm going off to college. He's one of my former players. Can I come talk to you about how your faith got so strong? I'm scared to leave my mom. Mm. Uh, he's, he doesn't have a father. And so right there, that statement right there that a kid is coming up here tomorrow to my office to talk about my faith, where did he get that? We never had a one-on-one conversation. He got it because every day I expressed and I carried myself in a way that he picked up on it. And again, like I said earlier, it's not perfect. I, I may slip up and cuss or say something I shouldn't say or act uh, in a behavior that's not appropriate, but they know my sincerity and they know my heart. That's good. I'm going to give a quick little another commercial break on Chris Melson. He, um, I was able to sit down with him a little over a year ago and record a podcast and he talked a lot about what you just said about how the Bible, he went through their mission statement and their their whole culture of, of, of his high school and everything is tied to a, a verse. Exactly right. So if you're listening, go look up, just search episode 92, Chris Melson. And, and, you know, we could sit here and talk for hours on that. But yeah, I'd encourage everybody to go listen to that because that's it is an encouragement um, for guys like you and guys like Chris that are in, in the coaching profession. So this is always a, a fun one for me to ask. <laughs> um, just because I love to go back and you know I write these down and and, and look over the notes. So, is, do you have a favorite a favorite scripture life verse, or is there one maybe that God is is used in your life recently that you'd share? Oh yeah, well actually, there, I've been on uh, right now. Psalm twenty three obviously is just that is right there. What the reassurance of who we are in Christ is Psalm twenty three. If people haven't read Psalm twenty three, encourage them to go do that. But you know He has. You know, I don't have it memorized. Obviously, I'm, I'm bad on the memory, but I just know that, that that particular scripture right now is who you are in Christ and your walk with Christ. And then Romans eight twenty eight, and you know, just the, you are the righteousness of God. You are the heir of Abraham. You know, those things stick out to me. And um, I, I'm, I finished. Uh, I think I maybe I said this on one of your podcasts. It's a really, or on one of the Bible studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the uh, I'm losing my mind here. Well, Jonah. When you read about oh, Jonah. Jonah, at the very end, was angry. You know, he, here's this bush that comes over and gives him... He, he wouldn't go where God told him to go. And this fits kind of what I was saying. He wouldn't go where God told him to go. He ran from God, right? And then finally he ends up going to Nineveh. And he goes and does what he's supposed to do, but he's bitter about it. And he's hot. And he's slain on that, that, that beach. And what's God do? God plant and puts a plant to give him shade. And a worm comes along and eats that plant. And he, he angrily, the, the, the book ends with him angrily talking to God. And God says, why are you mad? What are you mad about? I've blessed you. And I would say to that to me, that spoke to me. It's like, I've given you this job. I've given you this ministry, this calling. And it's never good enough for you. What are you mad about? So those are things that have been struck, stuck in my head right now biblically. Genesis 5.3. Um, it, it talks about the first time that there was a, that Adam had a child in God's image. I want you to think about that for a minute. Cain and Abel were in his image. We are descendants. And so you go to 5.3 and he talks about the first time that he has a child in God's image. So the, the curse is getting broke, right? Slowly off the Old Testament, it's getting broke. We know we had the first Christ in Adam, then we had to have to come along to save us was Jesus, being the, the, the second Adam, right? And so that always kind of sticks out to me lately is what were we do? What was he doing with that, with Cain and Abel? And then 100, it's almost 100 years from the time of Cain and Abel when he finally has that child in, in, in Genesis 5-3. So 
There's a lot of things on my mind. I don't have a lot of them memorized like I should, but that's where I'm at. And obviously, you know, we're in Philippians, and we are in Philippians at church too. I'm torn on that too. We were just Paul and I were just talking about that the other day. Is Paul is chained to a Roman guard for basically off and on for four years, mm-hmm. right? When you think about this, Paul wanted a big platform too. He wanted to be a like a mega preacher, right? He wanted to go save the, the masses, but he ends up getting in, put in prison. But what you forget is the Romans changed guards every four hours. You study that history. So think about all the men in a 24-hour period that he's chained to, and he ends up saving some of Nero's, Caesar Nero's own family to the faith of Christ. And there's so much in that that's just powerful to me. Oh, absolutely. That, you know, what do you want? How bad do you want it? It's a Burger King society. Coaches need to take a deep breath, know your why, slow down, and realize that God's got you someplace for a reason. And that's why Philippians is such a great place to be. Romans itself is such a... Romans 1 will blow you away. Just read Romans 1 and, and, and tell me it's not 2020. Just read Romans oh, 1 right absolutely. now and tell me it is not 2020 when you read Romans 1. So those are the things that I'm... I know I'm rambling here, but those are the things that are on my heart and my mind right now. And like I said, I, I've been saying this a lot lately and, and my pastor has been hitting it home. The more I'm, I'm reading my Bible, the more calm I am and I feel like a Holy Spirit presence over me as I go throughout my day. When I don't read the Word, that's when all heck breaks loose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? I can tell a big difference in my attitude, my mood, my reaction every day whether I started the day in the Word or not. It's, yeah, yeah. it's that definitely for real. I had a principal at Bonham who I loved. and he, he was, I was only with him one year. And on his whiteboard, so like this was his desk, and his whiteboard was right there. You came in to see him. On the very top of his board, it said temper, justice, mercy. And I asked him one time, I said, what is that? Why does that never get erased? And he says, because when someone comes in, whether it's an angry parent, teacher I've got to let go, coach that's mad, custodian, whatever, I look at that thing first and I go, whatever is said out of this person's mouth, I'm going to deal with them with temper justice and mercy mm. so I have it in my office if you were to peek around the corner when we went on that tour temper justice mercy and I added grace mm. and so I do that now and so anyway anybody that comes into my office is going to deal with they're going to deal with that versus old angry Tony grumpy Tony or Tony who doesn't feel like he has enough time in the day to handle these I, I tell myself those things and those are subtle reminders of who I am in Christ that's good. I like the temper, justice, mercy, and I have the grace in there, too. That's yeah. good. Last question. Two words. Um, real big in sports, all in. I mean, it's on chin straps, T-shirts, wristbands, mm-hmm. you name it. But it's also, you know, studying the life of Jesus. I mean, he was all about, you know, Luke 9, 23. You're going to follow me and deny yourself. So, you know, he wants us to be to be all in. But I want to ask kind of a, a practical question. You know, what does that look like on a daily basis for you, Tony, to be all in your walk? Well, I go back to the Last Supper, and I remind myself that he chose a towel versus a title. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in my life when it was all about the title. I get teased by my friends and my sons. I've got eight championship rings. and And I am an egotistical guy like anybody. But when you cut down to it and you cut me open, I'm choosing the towel. I want others to be successful. I want my coaches to be successful. I want my players to be successful. I want my wife to be successful. Uh, Towel over the title. You know, Jesus... Jesus took off the robe, which, as you know, back then was a sign of his kingship. And he took off that robe and put that towel on and started cleaning the disciples' feet. And you know, the, the feet were dirty back then, big time dirty, than more than today. I mean, they wore those sandals, dirty roads. But so to me, to be all in is to remember that I choose the towel versus the title daily. 
And I would say that we need to remember that he's not coming back. He's not doing this again. This was already done. And I can't, I can't grasp that enough. Uh, and, and can't express that enough, I should say, because I think too many of us, including myself, grew up in a world where if I sinned, well, I, oh, I can't I can't show my face in church because I did this Saturday night, or you know I yelled at my wife, or I, I cussed at practice, or you know I got around the guys and we we said some inappropriate things, and well I can't I can't be a, I'm not a Christian because I did those things, and we beat ourselves up, and we we deny the right. That he did this. And, and how can you do that? How can you profess to be a believing Christian who knows that he died on the cross for your sins and then you beat yourself up? And like I said earlier, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card when you get to that realization. It is it is the truth in the Word that he he did it. You are the righteousness of God. You have the power to, t- to say that and to speak to that in your daily walk. And so for me, that's what being all-in is. Uh, I'm going to speak that to my family. I'm going to speak that over my family. I'm going to be a servant to my job. I'm, I'm not working for them. I work as if I'm working for Christ, mm-hmm. for His glory and His gain. That's awesome. That's good. And I know we've, you know, we've taken several months to work out the time to do this. I appreciate sure. your patience oh. and in doing that. But I know it's, uh, you know, it's in God's timing. So I, pr- I appreciate your absolutely your willingness to do this and, and share your heart and encourage us. You bet. I, and I appreciate you having me on. And thank you for doing this ministry because it's helped me. I listen to them and. You know, and, and it, I don't listen to all of them, but the ones I do listen to, it's exactly what you said. It was a timely thing that God was trying to get a hold of you. God will whisper to you if you That's just right. allow yourself to hear it. That's right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say thank you again to Coach Tony Johnson for taking time to to sit down in person and to share his heart and just give you a glimpse of who he is. Um, and also, you know, we did talk about his book. We talked about his family. We talked about a lot of things. But the number one thing... Um, that I wrote down and my takeaway from the whole time with Tony is we need to choose to be like Jesus and choosing a towel over a title. And it goes back to identity. Our identity is not in wins and losses, championships, large sales in business, um, the size of our house, the size of our bank account. Our identity is found in, in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is Um, reminded to us so many times when we look at how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. So thank you again to Tony. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you were encouraged by Tony's story, and I hope you got a glimpse of his passion, his passion for Jesus and making Jesus known. I would ask you to to share this episode with somebody. I'd also ask you to subscribe. If you're not a current subscriber to our podcast, that you would um, hit the subscribe button of whatever podcast platform you choose. And lastly, we love to hear from you. Go to our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search All In Sports Outreach. You can send us a message. You can find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray, to serve, and to give. Thank you so much for your um, time of listening today. Thank you for your support, your encouragement, and your prayers.